Hello, and welcome to the Interest Center podcast, where we connect with experts and innovators in theological education around topics important to theological school leaders. Thank you for joining us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Good Governance Podcast. I'm Matt Huffman. Five years ago, the Chaplaincy Innovation Lab was created at Brandeis University in Massachusetts with a mission, in the words of the lab, to bring chaplains, theological educators, clinical educators, and social scientists into conversation about the work of chaplaincy and spiritual care. In a society with changing views and habits on religious practice, chaplaincy can be an important ministry. Today with me are Drs. Wendy Cage and Michael Skaggs. Wendy is the founder of the lab and director, and Michael is co-founder and director of programs. Wendy, Michael, it is great to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. So tell me a little bit about this. How did the Chaplaincy Innovation Lab come to be? What was it that you saw in the field? Um, and, and Wendy, you are a sociologist, and Michael, you are a historian of religion, American religion. Um, How did you end up in this, and what do you see was the need? Well, really, the the foundation of the lab came out of Wendy's many years of research and Wendy you can you can clarify the exact timeline there but by the time we got connected around 2016 2017 Wendy had been doing this work for a number of years and had done enough research with and on chaplains kind of across the board that it was very apparent um as well as chaplains were being trained and as good of work as they were doing they weren't talking to each other which is a real problem for a lot of reasons. Mm. And so I was working with chaplains that work in seaports at the time when I met Wendy. And we had lots of conversations about how come these chaplains aren't talking to healthcare chaplains, aren't talking to corrections, Mm. aren't talking to airport chaplains, whatever, you name it. And so we realized that there was no there there for chaplaincy, so to speak. And the lab was founded to be that place. So Wendy, tell me a little bit about this, because your research, and and you've done significant research in this field, tell me about what you were seeing in the field. So I had written a book about healthcare, religion and spirituality in healthcare called Paging God. And when that book was finished, I started interviewing chaplains in greater Boston, but were working in a broad range of settings. And I was also interviewing national chaplaincy leaders, as Michael said, in airports and seaports and the VA and the military. And those leaders were all facing the same challenges, but I was struck as I listened to them that they didn't know each other. And Michael and I had met, we were kind of creative, entrepreneurial, and we got a small grant and said, let's pitch a big tent and see if we can invite everybody in. We have a friend who likes to say we were building a mall, which is sort of silly, but if you take the metaphor, our job was to have enough interesting food in the food court to encourage folks to come out from their different ways of doing chaplaincy, being chaplains, training chaplains, doing research about chaplains, to mingle in the food court, see if they could learn a little something, and then go back to what they were doing. So the lab came out of an effort to improve the work of chaplains, which I think is about reducing suffering you know, for all of those with whom they mm-hmm. serve. 
as mm-hmm. well as to connect chaplains and the people who are educating them and the people who are employing them. And we know too often that when people think about chaplaincy, they think about Father Mulcahy, or they have a vision of usually a white Protestant man who did this work quite a while ago. And we were really trying to challenge the educators to look forward, to think about whether and how they're preparing chaplains to do the work of the future as so many things about American religion change. So with a, a really collaborative group of advisors, we launched the website and had some research grants to do some different projects. Michael started to hold webinars on Zoom before anybody knew what Zoom was. Um, And really, we have built the community that way. Well, let's talk a little bit about the the, what you see as the future. Uh, You mentioned that the future in terms of ministry, there's this there's been talk in the field for years in theological education about the need for chaplaincy, whether that's a a Tyson chicken, which is one of those tests, you know, I think it's a case study in, in private industry chaplains, but there are chaplains in fire departments, police departments, there are chaplains in business in, as you say, seaports and airports and hospitals. Tell me what you're seeing in religion where you say we need to be training chaplains. For us, chaplaincy is where any tradition, whether it be historic mainline or what some might consider fringe out towards the edge, whatever. Chaplaincy is where all of those traditions meet the real world, so to speak, and Mm -hmm. do that work externally. I think that anyone can read a demographic chart and see affiliation is on the decline for many, many religions. And that's a question for them to solve internally. If they want to deal with that, they can do that sort of internally. But where those traditions and denominations meet the outside world is through chaplaincy. And so for many people, this is how they fulfill that imperative to serve the world. And whereas a generation ago, chaplains mostly served their own people, so to speak, in air quotes, uh, chaplaincy today is not about that. Chaplaincy is about, as Wendy said, reducing suffering, whoever is doing the suffering and for whatever reason. If traditions, want to have a strong impact on the world, chaplaincy is going to be where it happens. I might add to that just saying that, you know, traditionally religious leaders worked in congregations and they may have been with people who were very different from them in terms of race or ethnicity or gender, any number of demographic factors. But usually most of the people that they were with either shared some kind of religious tradition or interest in learning about a particular religious tradition. When we think about chaplains, chaplains have long served a very diverse set of people. Their day-to-day work is fundamentally different from that of a local clergy person because they're serving people from all kinds of backgrounds, including today many people who are not religiously or spiritually affiliated. And so we see in chaplaincy a model for what we think religious leadership of the future might look like, where fewer people are involved with congregations, religious leaders are serving a very wide and diverse set of people, and they're doing so largely not through congregations, but through other means. And we are seeing chaplaincy growing in police and fire departments, certainly in community settings, in settings that are serving people who are unhoused. And it's important that, you know, in general, chaplains are not proselytizing. They're not there for themselves. They're there to meet those in need and to engage and be 
present and kind of a, have relationship with them in those places. So I think we see really interesting opportunities and important opportunities for chaplaincy going forward. There are certainly challenges, business model being the first one, um, but it's a, it's a fundamentally different way of doing the work. Well, in, in terms of theological education, uh, theological schools, there's a tension for a lot of schools that are affiliated with a specific religious tradition, it's they have to train ministers in whatever tradition that is for that. But as, as you say, there's this growth in chaplaincy. There are, whether whatever the business model, certainly in a more pluralistic society, you're dealing with folks who are not the whatever that image of religion is whether that is you know whatever anybody conjures up when they think about clergy so tell me a little bit about where you see theological schools fitting into this in terms of uh, uh, the chaplaincy innovation lab and how that may help them think through their callings and their work to train clergy or ministers for the future you know one misconception that maybe some people have about chaplaincy is that it relies on this kind of generic lowest common denominator spirituality or whatever. And that's very simply not the case. Um, professional, well-trained chaplains who are providing meaningful service to people are all seriously grounded in their own tradition, whatever that may be. Mm -hmm. You don't have to set those things aside in order to be a chaplain. In fact, you will be trained to really lean into those things that set you apart. Now, that doesn't mean that you go out and you proselytize and try to convert people, but you do need to be grounded very strongly in your own tradition, whatever that may mm. be. And so there is certainly still a very a, a crucial role for those historical training institutions to do that work. The challenge is, how do we take this really deep grounding and translate it into a world where most of the people that we serve are not going to share the same assumptions, the same worldview, necessarily all of the same values. That's the real challenge. But in the past, those same institutions were the ones who could innovate to train these leaders. And so they're certainly well prepared and positioned to do the same today for helping clergy make that transition. I can add that we've watched some theological schools transition also. So I think it was in the mid-1980s that the first theological school started a degree program with chaplaincy or spiritual care in the title. I can't remember if it was an MDiv that became an MDiv with a chaplaincy track or something like that. And we have written and charged, we have on our website, all of the theological schools that are offering degree programs specifically for chaplains or spiritual care providers. Some are MDivs. We've seen the growth of Masters of Arts programs, which can sometimes be completed in less time. We've actually analyzed the curriculum of all of these degree programs, and they're quite varied, which is a challenge for the field. Um, and in a project with Shelley Rambo at Boston University School of Theology, we worked with about 20-ish colleagues um, to write what we call the textbook. It's a book called Spiritual Care in the 21st Century. And it was designed to name the three competencies that we think all chaplains need to have. We call them interpersonal. It's about counseling and interpersonal relationships. 
meaning making, which is what we think Chaplin's special sauce is. They engage with people around questions of meaning and purpose. Some people would call this the, the, this the theological competency. And then the third competency is about organizational, being able to work in and through complex organizations. So it's to name that theological schools in many cases have tried to have degree programs that are more suited for chaplains. Um, I would say that I don't think they're there yet. Um, we know that many of these degree programs still require skills that we find that chaplains don't need. And in fact, we're just wrapping up a project where we mapped the need or demand for chaplains on the ground with a Gallup survey of the public and interviews with some employers and then mapping how chaplains are trained. And three of the three, three of the key gaps we see are the need for people in training to learn more about responding to trauma more about engaging around moral injury, and more about working in diverse and pluralistic workforces. So I think part of what I'm trying to say is that theological schools have actually long been in this conversation, more disjointed uh -huh. than in a kind of cohesive or systematic way. And we think that there are many more things we could do together with theological schools. And we have a lot of resources on our website for curriculum building, for working with people in the community, for engaging with clinical edu pastoral education programs, other kinds of things, as well as this textbook. Well, there's a, and you're just celebrating five years mm -hmm. of the lab. And uh, I've been through the website, uh, having served in chaplaincy capacities, the resources are, are rich and there's a lot there, webinars, books, um, a lot of things that I think that, you know, in terms of the ongoing education, I think every minister needs to have, uh, there's a lot there, but, uh, Wendy, let me start with you on this one. If you're talking to a board of a theological school, I mean, I think one of the things I think that we find is, is folks are like, that's great. You have resources and super. Um, and sometimes, as you know, when you get into ministry or people get into a field, they realize yeah, the education was good and it's there for a purpose. Now I got to figure out how to use it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, what would you say to a board to say, this is where maybe perhaps you could better position somebody, or this is a need in your field that you should address. What do you want them to think about? Mm -hmm. I want them to look at where their recent alumni are working. And then to ask themselves and their faculty colleagues whether the curriculum and training that they're providing in their institution is training them to do the work that they're actually doing, not the work that they might want to do or that alumni 10, 15, 20 years ago did, but what alumni in the last two, three, four, five years are actually doing. And my worry is that when we look at that, Often people are being trained for jobs that either don't exist or are declining in local congregations. And more people are coming to do work in chaplaincy, often gig work, 10 hours here, 10 hours there. So I would ask boards to be sure that they know where their alumni are working, to look at how they're preparing their current students to do that actual work. And if there are gaps, to look at the resources on the website around training and curriculum development and try to encourage faculty to work with us. The Wabash Center actually has a consultancy now where you can work with someone who has helped to, divine, to, to, um, to develop chaplaincy degree programs. And just to think about and be clear that you are serving people in the now. Super. Michael, what are your thoughts? I concur entirely. Like I said at the at the top, this really is where 
traditions, denominations can have an impact on the world. And if seminaries want to see uh, that continued impact through their own efforts, chaplaincy is really where that can be magnified in a way that even congregationally based clergy can't do. Uh, There is this issue of supply and demand. If we keep churning out pulpit pastors, that is, you know, there are only so many pulpits in the country. Uh, There is an almost limitless need for spiritual care. So as many chaplains as schools can produce, they they will have somewhere to go. The key, uh, as Wendy mentioned a few minutes ago, is this business model question. So for chaplains who are going to be working outside of some sort of institution, how do you make that work logistically? How do you make that work financially? But the more people we have involved in this work, the clearer that will become. We just have to point up more and more the value and the importance of chaplains so that A, institutions that don't employ them now will employ them, and B, structures outside of those institutions can crop up um, and and, uh, fund this work. Well, Wendy, let me ask you as as a sociologist, um, and Michael, I'm going to ask you a history question next, but I know Wendy needs to to jump off uh, the call here in a minute. Is is as a sociologist, do you see the need being? I mean, we talk about this in the, theological schools that there is a spiritual need, there's a need for spiritual care, there's a need for trauma care, there's a need for people to respond, spiritual for you know first responders. Uh, do you see society though embracing that? Because as we talk about making chaplains, do you see that there are folks? who um, who are, whether employers, depart, police departments, government institutions, hospitals. What do you think? I think society's embracing it if you take the wide view, by which I mean that the people who are that are stepping forward and doing that work are all not called chaplains. They all don't have a spiritual or religious label on their box or in their job description. But I was up in Maine last week on Monday, you know, ironically, before the horrific shooting in Lewiston. And the state of Maine has created, actually I have their information here, the Spiritual Care Services of Maine. So this was created during the pandemic with funds from the Department of Mental Health. They offer a 24-hour kind of line where you can call and a chaplain will call you back. They serve more than 1,000 people in recent years. And post the pandemic, they have continued to do this work. So it's a small example. And in this case, the, the people are called chaplains. But I think we see a need for care and compassion and concern in many places using many labels. And we need to be curious and creative about what those labels are. We know that the word chaplain sounds Christian to many people. And for that reason, it doesn't it doesn't work for many people. And that's something for the field to think about. At the meeting I was at last Monday with this group in Maine, they were talking about spiritual wellness, that many mm. institutions want to promote spiritual wellness. And chaplains are some of the people who can do that. There are others. So I think when we take the broad view, we see it being picked up. When we take the narrow view and want to count chaplains, Um, It's actually impossible to count them. That's the first problem. But there are more challenges. And part of what the lab is trying to do is spark practical innovation. Think about how to use these boxes and their labels and creative ways of doing the work to serve people in ways and places that um, have not always been served. And Michael, let me ask you the historical question to wrap this up is, is this a new era, do you think, in American religion? 
in terms of how we're producing ministers and how we should be thinking about this rather than inside the church building, making, you know, the, as you mentioned, the pulpit minister rather for the external, the chaplaincy. Well, I'll give a very academic answer, which is to say yes and no. Uh, the labels <laughs> are going to be different. In some cases, the labels aren't going to apply. Uh, but American religion has always been innovative. American religion has always tried to serve people where they are, uh, not always for the best purposes, but American religion has always tried to go find people wherever there is need and address that need. Like I said, are the labels going to be the same? No, of course not, because we're not necessarily trying to get people inside the four walls um, of a religious congregation. But at the same time, most of the people that are doing the work of chaplaincy come from either very large traditions or their own moral imperative to serve those who are in need. And chaplaincy is how we're going to address that in the 21st century. So yes and no. Uh, the names, the titles are different, but this is how American religion has always worked. And we really see this as the best of American religion and spirituality. Wendy, Michael, thank you for your time. This has been a wonderful conversation. We're going to put links on our website. It'll be at intrust.org slash podcast, where, where our listeners will be able to find more about the Chaplaincy Innovation Lab. We'll also uh, have some future conversations with you both. Appreciate the work you're doing so very much. Thank you for having us, Matt. Thank you for listening to the Intrust Center's Good Governance Podcast. For more information about this podcast, other episodes, and additional resources, visit intrust.org.